you know, there are a lot of things that um, we baby boomers experienced during our childhood and adolescence. How many of y'all are baby boomers? You're in the baby. Come on, get your hands up. Be proud. Be loud and proud. Here we go. All right. Good, good. Uh, baby boomer. I'm barely a boomer. Um, 1964 was the last year of baby boomers, and so I'm, I was born in 64, so I'm just barely a boomer. But um, we, we had it better than all of y'all. I'm sorry. We just did. It was just, we just had it, had it best growing up uh, in the years that we grew up. Uh, we had the best music, amen, come on, we got, had the best music, and we had the worst hairstyles, amen, I mean, we did, we just did, boy, you look at some of our uh, high school annuals, um, but uh, I asked this week on my Facebook page for for baby boomers, or folks that were close to, so some of y'all are close to baby boomers, you're close enough that you'd appreciate some of the things that that I'll share, I asked folks on Facebook this week to kind of share with me their their favorite memories or experiences from their childhood years growing up. And no matter where they grew up, whether it's here, I grew up in Cleveland. A lot of folks grew up in Jackson, South Jackson. Where, where, where are my South Jackson folks? Uh, so, uh, you know, um, all of that. And, and, and there was some co common themes that sort of started running through the comments. My comments just exploded. And... Uh, it was so much fun to do it, and gee, I got real nostalgic, you know, reading through all the comments, but there were some common themes that just started running through the comments. We were on our bikes nonstop. We were on our bicycles all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. I, I think it's one of the saddest testimonies of our society today that you never see a, a pack of kids riding their bikes down the street. If you do, you immediately think they stole them, right? Uh, you know, and so, but that's the world we live in now. But man, used to, back in the day, man, uh, there was just little packs of kids riding everywhere on our bikes all day long. Mama didn't know where we were. She didn't care where we were. She was just glad we were out of the house. I mean, we just all day long, all day, summertime, all day long, just nonstop, uh, barefooted, everywhere we went, uh, uh, y'all, you know, in creeks, swimming in the creeks, swimming in pools, playing, running, uh, doing everything that we could, just, just having uh, all the time. Uh, I mean, we, we, uh, uh, we didn't, we had no, there was, uh, uh, bicycle helmets were not invented until after, maybe they were invented because of us, but I, we, nobody wore, that, I mean, you'd be, you just were weird if, if you didn't have bike helmets, there wasn't, uh, we didn't know anything about seatbelts, nothing about seatbelts, I, I know nothing about seatbelts, we rode in the back of pickup trucks everywhere that we went, my family, my two brothers and me rode in the back of a pickup truck, an open bed pickup truck, 1972 pickup truck, that my or GMC pickup truck that my daddy had that I wish I still had, uh, we rode in the back of a pickup truck and folded lawn chairs all the way to northern Arkansas on a vacation one time, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Mama don't want me to tell that story, so y'all don't tell her I told it, but I'm just telling you, we did. Uh, you know, we just, that's just what we did, man. We didn't, we, and, and it was just awesome. It was, it was just a great time to grow up, uh, and it was funny. I was, I was reading a lot of y'all's comments, too, and uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of guys that are members of this church uh, that they're brothers, and they're here today, and you see them a lot together around our church campus. They're two brothers, and they're together all the time, and you see them around our church a lot, and, and uh, 
So they're here today, and you passed them outside today probably. And uh, one of them was kind of sharing some of the stuff that, that they did. And their, their stuff kind of ran along the lines of stealing their daddy's cigars and smoking their cigars and stealing garbage cans and, and uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I'll let you all uh, find out who those brothers are that uh, did all those kinds of things. But, man, just running, playing, talking, staying outside until dark, after dark. It was just the best time to grow. There's another thing about growing up in, uh, in our day that uh, really breaks my heart, that this is no longer around. Uh, the Sears Wish Book. Uh, see there? See, you young people, y'all have no clue right now. That, it, it was this huge catalog that came out every year, about 800 pages. I mean, the sucker was like that thick. 800 pages. Seven million of them were sent out, uh, mailed out to Sears customers. Now, Sears, the Sears company is uh, going away in bankruptcy, and they're closing stores and all that kind of stuff. But back in the day, it was, it was, it was huge. The Sears company was, was huge. And you, get this, you would get this catalog every year called the Wish Book. It would show up about September. It was called the Wish Book. And it was a Christmas-themed catalog. And when they first started uh, printing them back in, like, 1933, Three, I think it was. The thing was only 78 pages long. Uh, but then it grew to be about 800 pages. You could, you could order anything, anything. You think Amazon's good. You could order anything. This was our Amazon. You know, this was our Amazon. You could order anything out of that, out of that catalog. Uh, you could, obviously, you could order clothes and jewelry and appliances and TVs and washing machines and all that kind of stuff. You could, you could, order, uh, uh, you could order farm equipment. You could order tools of every kind. Uh, you, could get, you, could buy a, you could order a piano. You could order uh, guitars and banjos and ukuleles. I even had somebody after the 8 o'clock service tell me they ordered a dog out of one one time. Seriously. It's crazy, man. You could, order, you could even... Now, some of, some of y'all are old enough... I don't know if y'all are old enough to remember this, but some of y'all know that this is the truth. There were some folks at 8 o'clock that did remember it, that uh, you could actually order a house out of the Sears catalog. You could order a house, and they would ship your house to you in a container, and you took it out and put it together. It was a kit, and you put it together. There's a friend, some of mine and Vicky's best friends living in Brookhaven, Mississippi, are living in one of those houses. And uh, they've, I mean, obviously they've updated it, and, and, and it's a beautiful home. But you could literally buy a house out of it. It's crazy. It's crazy. But the best thing about the Sears, uh, the wish book, was the toy section when you were a kid. Oh, my gosh. Man, the toy section. It was like 100 pages of nothing but toys. And that's what we did back then. We didn't have phones. We didn't have computers. We didn't have iPads. We had toys. We had sticks. We had whatever. And, and you just, but you could buy any kind of toy you wanted to. Anything. Anything. 100 pages of toys. And so obviously you take that wish book out and you start going through there and you start making your Christmas list based on what you found in the Sears wish book. Now, uh, Santa Claus made it clear to me that I could only put three things on my list, that, uh, that Santa Claus would only uh, honor about three of those things on my list. And Santa Claus sort of would kind of, uh, I knew that Santa Claus would kind of encourage me to stay away from some items that were a little kind of high price items, stuff like that. I, Santa Claus was on a budget back then. And it's anyway, I, so, but you just, you just spent... Uh, you just you would just you just spend days flipping the pages on that in that catalog. It's just unbelievable. And I often wonder as we think about the sermon for today. I wonder if this if if there's the possibility that, that Sears wish book started some of us down the road toward covetousness. 
Because we were constantly looking at things that didn't belong to us that somebody else had or that somebody else was going to have, and we were wishing that we had those things that somebody else had or that somebody else was going to have. Now, we weren't intentionally, and I don't think there's some great conspiracy uh, in that Sears wish book to do that, but I just do wonder if it started planting a few little seeds in our minds about having things that weren't ours and wishing we had things. That's what it's called, wish book. Wishing we had things that didn't belong to us. Wishing that we had things that somebody else had or somebody else might have. Wishing that we had things that someone whose parents had more money than us were going to be able to get them uh, and buy them more toys than we were going to be able to get or more or bigger toys than we were going to be, be able to get or more expensive toys than we were going to be able to get. And I just wonder if maybe we started some early stages of coveting even when we were kids. I read a story about a man who went out into his yard and he wanted to kill a fire ant bed that was there. I hate those things. And, yeah, and so you, there was a big ant bed in his yard and he wanted to kill it. So he took some of that poison, the granule kind of poison that you sprinkle around the edge of the bed there and kind of a perimeter around it and sprinkle it around there to kill this fire ant bed. And what happens, and I know some of you have done that, so as soon as you, it doesn't take long. I mean, just within seconds, as soon as you do that, those sensors go off on those ants, and they start coming out. And all of a sudden, the ant bed just comes alive with hundreds of thousands of ants that come out, and they start picking up those little granules of poison and start taking them down inside the ant bed. And that's what you want them to do. That's what's supposed to be happening, because they're going to take that poison back down into the bed, and it's going to kill uh, the bed and kill the ants and all that kind of stuff. And you'll be rid of this one until you get a good rain, and then four more are going to pop up in your yard, that kind of thing. But so, so it was working. They, they started doing that. So he went in the house, he came back out later, just kind of check on the progress of things, and he noticed something was happening. Some of the granules around the bed were now spreading out and leaving the bed. What was happening is some ants from some other ant bed saw that these guys over here had something they didn't want, so they came over and started stealing some of their poison to take back to their ant bed, not knowing that they were carrying poison back that was going to kill them. Because they wanted something that this, these ants over here had that they didn't have, and it was going to kill them. And this tenth and final commandment, we're wrapping up this sermon series. If you're here for the first time today, glad you're here. We're finishing up a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, laying down the law, and we're on the last one. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 is the final one, and it talks about the poison of covetousness, coveting. Go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Let's take a look at this, uh, this commandment today. Exodus 20, 17. Hey, would you please stand as we read this commandment uh, now? Exodus 20, 17. God said, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. So help us now, Lord, by the power of your Spirit to hear from you today as you teach us, as you help us, as you reveal truth to us, and then as you give us the strength and power and the courage and the ability to apply it to our lives and live it out for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So we're wrapping up Ten Commandments, and, and uh, it's been a great journey. I hope you've enjoyed being in these, uh, in these commandments and studying them together. And uh, I want to tell you, Alistair Begg is one of my favorite preachers y'all heard me mention him before i quote him a lot on facebook i'm using one of his devotional i'm using one of his devotional books every day in my 
personal quiet time, so that's why you see a lot of those quotes from him. I'm pulling those out each morning. Great stuff. And Alistair Begg said this about the Ten Commandments. Listen, he said the Ten Commandments are there not, listen, they are there not in order to enable us to meet requirements for God because Jesus is the only one who can meet those requirements. I, so, so let me stop right there. That's not the end of the quote. I've got one more little statement, but I want you to understand this. As we study these commandments, these commandments, we're the, the, this, these are not ten ways that you can uh, make God love you more or ten ways that you can make God uh, think you're a, a, a good little boy or a good little girl. That's not what this is. You can't meet God's requirements. You cannot meet His requirements. Because you know what His requirement, His one requirement is? Perfection. Holiness. Holy perfection. God's requirement for you is perfection. Anybody here got that one yet? Anybody here accomplished that yet in your life? And that's what he says there, because Jesus is the only one who can meet those requirements. He's the only one who can do this. So these commandments are there not to enable you. If you'll do all ten of these, and you're going to meet requirements. But you've got, you got to do them perfectly your entire life. That's how you meet the requirements. So he goes on to say, but they are there in order to enable us. Listen, why are the Ten Commandments here? To enable us to walk in the fullness and freedom that our Heavenly Father intends. As your pastor, I want to tell you, there's a lot of things I want for you. One of the things I long for you is what he says right there. I long for you, my brother. I long for you, my sister, to walk in the fullness and the freedom that the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, intends for you to have. That's part of my passion for you as a Christ follower. And yes, it's because I am your pastor and I have the joy and privilege of being the under-shepherd of this church and helping to guide you and lead you and but it's just because it's more that I'm just your brother in Christ. And I want to see you experience all that God has for you in your life. And these Ten Commandments help do that. They, they enable us to walk in the fullness and the freedom that God wants for your life and that He will give to you. And coveting negates that fullness and freedom. It's... It, it, it's a very pervasive sin. I mean, it's, well, I mean that, it's widespread. And yet John Bevere in one of his version devotionals said this, covetousness is not something we really talk about these days. Ray Pritchard, another pastor that I love reading his sermons, and he, he, he has a sermon entitled, The Sin No One Will Admit. Talking about covetousness. We... We just we don't talk about it. We, we won't admit it. But we, as we begin to unpack it today, I believe we will see that it is the, listen y'all, it is the root of many of the other sins we commit and the commandments that we break. Covetousness lies at the root of it. Well, let's define it. What's it talking about? All right, so here we go. Just like we've done multiple times in studying these uh, commandments, you go back to the Hebrew. Old Testament, written in Hebrew. Let's find out what this means. The word covet, you see it there, verse 17. You shall not covet. 
So what does that word mean back in the Hebrew? Well, let me tell you two things about this word. Number one, it has positive, and number two, it has negative meanings or senses. On, a, on the positive side, the word covet simply means to have a strong desire. Just having strong desire. The, it can also mean delight or dear or precious or desirable. So that's positive. That's good. That's fine. But the negative side of this is the negative side of it is this: a strong desire. Again, that's okay. It's okay to have a strong desire, but it turns negative when we finish this. A strong desire for something I have no right to have. That's coveting. Strong desire, okay. A strong desire for something I have no right to have, you're in trouble. You've moved into covetousness. It's interesting, too, to me that this word is mentioned twice in this commandment. I'm not going to say it's coincidental because there ain't nothing coincidental in the Word of God. But I think it's interesting that the word is mentioned twice. I mean, you say, you shall not murder, boom. You shall not commit adultery, boom. You shall not steal, boom. You shall not commit adultery. And hey, let me say it one more time in case you didn't get it. You shall not commit adultery. It's kind of like what Paul said in Philippians chapter, uh, in the book of Philippians uh, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, I say it again, rejoice. You know, if you repeat something, you want somebody to understand it. Hey, rejoice in the Lord. Man, rejoice, man, he's worthy. Don't covet. Listen, listen, don't covet. It's, it, that's, that's, how, that's, that's how serious it is. This, this commandment is not prohibiting, listen to me, it is not prohibiting having strong desires for something. Again, that's the positive. It's okay to have strong desires. There's nothing inherently wrong in desiring to have a better job, a nicer house, a cool vehicle. Uh, you know, I, I, I would, I'd love to have a Ford F-150. I just, I just love, I, I have a strong desire for that one. But I'm not going to go get Jeff Jones and steal his. You know, but I'm just, I, but I have a strong desire for it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a strong desire for a loving spouse or it's, but here it is. It's the object of our desires that causes us to cross into sinful coveting. And also it's the depth of our desires that causes us to cross over into sinful coveting. The object and the depth of our, the object of our desires and the depth of our desires. Paul David Tripp said this. I love, check out this quote. I love this. He said, A desire for a good thing becomes a desire for a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. If your desires for things that you don't have are ruling over you, if you're obsessing over things that other people have that you don't have, if you're finding yourself willing to do things that you know are sinful in order to satisfy your desires for things you don't have, then you have moved into covetousness and you are in dangerous territory. There was this guy living in Detroit, of all places, 
He was standing out in his backyard, and he looked up, and there was this speck in the sky that he noticed, but he noticed that the speck was getting bigger because it was getting closer to him, and the closer it got to him, the more he realized that it was a living, moving mass of something headed his direction, and the closer it got, he finally realized that it was two bald eagles locked together in mortal combat. And the reason they were locked together is because they were fighting over a fish that one of them had. Crazy thing is the fish had already dropped to the ground, but the birds were still fighting. They were still fighting, bloody, screaming, screeching, still fighting, hurtling toward the earth. And with one final screech, they both lunged each other with a fatal uh, lunge, and both of them fell dead on the ground just feet away from the man who was standing in his backyard, he couldn't believe what he saw. They had this, this driving desire to have something that belonged to somebody else, and it killed them. It destroyed them. And that's what covetousness will do to you. It'll destroy you. The application for this message today is guarding yourself against coveting is a key component to satisfaction in your Christian life. Repeat that. Guarding yourself against coveting is a key component to satisfaction in your Christian life. You want to be satisfied in your Christian life? Well, brother, sister, you've got to fight against this coveting thing. Let's talk about it. Number one, it's simple. It's simple. Coveting is, is simple. Plain and simple it's a, it's a sin, all right? It's a sin. Uh, we don't, we, we kind of probably tend to put it in the lower category of sins. You know, it ain't murdering. It ain't adultery. It ain't stealing something. So we kind of move it off to the side. Well, that one's one, you know, if I, if I do that one, I ain't too bad. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how we think stuff like that? But just like murder, just like adultery, just like stealing, this commandment is simple to understand. Because... You simply cannot have that which is off-limits to you. And anything or anyone that belongs to someone else is off-limits to you. And not only can you not have it, but you cannot have strong desires for it. I mean, this is serious business, y'all. You can't have strong... You, you know you can't have it, but you can't even have strong desires for it. You've got to resist those desires. You know, James said, resist the devil and he will do what? He will flee from you. Well, who's the one that's bringing these coveting desires into your life? It's him. So you've got to resist him so you can resist these desires. And you resist these desires when you're resisting him. And you have to do that. To covet is to wish to have the, pos the possessions of another. And it goes beyond just admiring or appreciating what someone else has. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong in thinking, I'd like to have one of those. Fill in the blanks. I'd like to have one of those. I would like to have whatever. But the sin happens when we begin to think, not only do I want to have one of those, I want that one that does not belong to me and belongs to somebody else. That's 
That's when you've crossed the line, and it's an evil desire that must be resist. It's just that simple. William Barclay said, coveting is a sin with a very wide range. If it is a desire for money, it leads to theft. If it's the desire for prestige, it leads to evil ambition. If it is the desire for power, it leads to sadistic tyranny. If it is the desire for a person, it leads to sexual sin. It's just simple. If it's off limits to you, you can't have it and you cannot desire it. It's simple. It's specific. This commandment here, verse 17, you look at this commandment. This is very specific. God got real specific with this thing here. And he says, you go back and look at those. There's some specific objects that are given here. And we just, you, I mean, you just, these are, don't covet these things. God said, don't covet these things. Number one, don't covet. I have no right to possess. Remember, I have no right to possess that which is off limits to me. And these are the things that are off limits. I have no right to possess a person's house where he or she lives. Nothing wrong with saying, man, I like your house. It's totally different when you desire to have that house and you wish they weren't living in that house so you could have that house. It's no, you, can't, it, it, you, can't, you have no right to possess a person's house. You have no right to possess a person's spouse. You, what, you have no right to possess where they live. You have no right to possess who they love. Then, then he, he talks about servants, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey. Now look, we don't have servants anymore. And you might have an ox, you might have a donkey, but you don't, in this context, you used oxen and donkeys for work to get your do- job done, a very agrarian society, and so you would have to have those things, those animals to get your work done. Well, let's make that modern-day application to us. You, you can't possess someone's livelihood, their livelihood, their job. Their, their work, their position on the team, or their position in the company, the, the tools of trade that they have, and, and uh, the, you know, the, the land that they have, or, or the cattle that they have, or the, cl- the crops that they have. A lot, of, you know, a lot of y'all are in agricultural businesses, and so uh, that's, that applies to you. You can't possess other people's crops, and other people's lands, and other people's cattle, and other people's clientele, and things like that. So you, you can't possess where he or she lives. You can't possess their, uh, who they love, and you can't possess their livelihood. And then just in case you didn't understand, God says there at the end, or anything else. <laughs> so I think that pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? If it belongs to somebody else, it ain't yours. And, 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 and that pretty well covers it up. It covers it all. One writer said this, he said, the society that God intends for his people is based on love for neighbors, not envy. The Bible's so abundantly clear that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The Bible's clear, you love your neighbor. That's not just talking about the person who lives on either side of you or across the road from you. That's, that's us. You're to love your neighbors. We're to to celebrate God's blessings on their lives instead of of resenting God's blessings. You ever resent the way God's blessing somebody? Well, why isn't God blessing me like that? 
Yes, you have, because I have too. You know, you, you, not to celebrate, you, we're to celebrate his blessing. We're to pray that God will bless them even more. Not secretly wish that they would fail and we would be able to capitalize on their failures. Real specific here. You can't have where they live. You can't have who they love. You can't have their livelihood or anything else. It's simple. It's specific. It's sneaky. <laughs> it's sneaky. Hope you still got your Bibles open. Hang on. I'll get you there in just a second. When Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, he didn't announce his arrival. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't come barreling up into the, into the Garden of Eden wearing his red pajamas with his horns and long tail and pitchfork. That's not how he showed up. Man, he just kind of slithered in there. The serpent slithered in and, and engaged Eve in this compromising conversation. And remember, every time he speaks, he's lying. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Look at how he lied. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Flip back one book in your Bible. If you got it open there, go to Genesis chapter 3. Then I've got to wrap this thing up. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Let's just read that. Look at this. Pick out the lies. Pick out the, look, at, look for the vulnerability of Eve. Look at how she was responding. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, did you see that? Did God actually say, throw in a little question mark in Eve's mind. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. By the way, God did not say that. God didn't say you can't touch it. He said you can't eat it. See, even Eve was getting mixed up here now. Lest you die. The serpent said, you shall not surely die. There's your lie right there. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now check, here we go. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, it sure did look good, and that that tree was to be desired to make one wise. Boy, I sure do want to have that. But God said it's off limits. I can't have it. But boy, it looks good. And I really do want it. And she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. See, coveting was a part of the fall. Right at the beginning of time, if you backed up to Genesis 2-9, you find out that God had made every tree that is desirable and pleasing to the sight. They're beautiful, man. You go out in the woods and the trees are beautiful, whether it's in the springtime, summer, the fall, man, the trees are beautiful. And just God made them that way. But Satan distorted God's beautiful creation like he always does. He capitalized on the desirability of what God had created. Man, that sure does look good. I sure would like to have that. And Eve gave in, and then he lied about what God had said about taking that was forbidden. Man, did God really say that? Well, don't worry about it. You're not really going to die. He lied about it, and Eve gave in to her covetousness, yielded to the temptation that was right in front of her to take something that was 
off limits to her and she sinned and Adam fell right in line. He should have been there in the first place to keep all this junk from happening, but he fell right in line and now here I am preaching on the Tenth Commandment because we've all fallen to it. You see there? It's just sneaky. That's what happens, man. Covenant sneaks up on you. It happens to all of us. Man, I found this out in my own life. In recent days, man, you just, you just go along fine. You're happy with your place in life. You're content with what you have. You're content with where we are. And then we find ourselves beginning to notice that others seem to have it better than we do. And then we start that dangerous questioning in our mind. Man, if I only had, ooh, man, if you start saying that. If I only had fill in the blank then I would be happy. I told you a couple of weeks ago, God don't care about your happiness. He cares about your obedience. If I only had this, if I only had a new house, if I only had a new spouse, if I only had a new set of kids, if I only had a new school, if I only had a new job, if I only had new friends, if I only had a new portfolio, then I would be happy. If I only had a new church, I'm not thinking that. But I mean, if I only had a new church building like my buddy down the road's got, man, they got some great facilities over there, man. If we only just had that, and even preachers can fall into this, and the coveting has done its evil work in our lives, we start going that way. It's like a slippery serpent, and it sneaks its way into our hearts and our thoughts. And it's no wonder we're so unhappy and so discontented and so miserable and so unsettled. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15 says, It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Now I know that that verse is not specifically talking about covetousness, but it sure is coveting when we let those little foxes of desire and deceit and wish I had that sneak in like a little fox coming in, chewing at the bottom of the base of that vine, killing the vine so the whole vine then dies. That's what happens to our lives when we let covetousness take over. We're destroyed, and it's serious. It's serious. This, this commandment hits hard with every other commandment. We're on commandment number 10. We're done. Next Sunday morning, I'm preaching on revival. So we're done with 10 commandments today. But you back up into all the other nine, and you find out Every one of them speaks to covetousness in some way, and covetousness speaks and is to every one of them in some way. You go back to the first two that talk about worshiping God alone, not having any idols in front of God, worshiping God alone. Well, when you give in to covetousness, you stop worshiping God. I don't care if you're sitting in church every Sunday that the doors are open. You ain't worshiping God because you've started worshiping other people and other things, and you should substitute them for your relationship with God. Because listen to me covetousness is at the root of idolatry and god hates idolatry it's at the root of idolatry i've told you before i'm reading through the bible right now with my big dogs a, a, a bunch of guys that were reading through the bible together we're in the old testament right now reading all of these old testament chapters and every time i find a place in the old testament where god says i don't like the fact that you are worshiping other gods and he starts talking about idolatry in the margin of my bible i write the words god hates idolatry god hates idolatry god hates idolatry this past week every day reading my bible every day i can't tell you how many times this past 
last week, I wrote those three words in the margin of my Bible. Oh, there it is again. God hates idolatry. Flip the page. Oh, there it is again. Oh, same page. God hates idolatry. God hates idolatry. God hates idolatry. God hates idolatry. And covetousness is at the root of idolatry. Commandment number three talks about taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm going to talk about that one word that comes to your mind when you're thinking about that. That's when you don't honor God's name. And you take the name of the Lord in vain because your coveting shows that you truly don't value the honor and reputation of God. Commandment number four talks about the Sabbath day and resting. Listen, when you're coveting, you have no rest. You ain't going to rest until you have those things that you want and you forget about God and you're not expecting God to work in your life and provide for you and take your mind off God because you're so consumed with getting this thing that does not belong to you and you turn away from Him because you're pursuing this other thing so strongly. And then commandment number five talks about uh, honoring your father and mother and when you're coveting, you ain't going to listen to the advice and the counsel of your parents who are trying to help you stay focused on the Lord because you want this thing so bad. And commandment number six talks about murdering. And when you're coveting, you're hating that other person so much that you wish they were out of the picture so you could have what they've got. And commandment number seven talks about adultery. And when you're coveting someone else's spouse, you're willing to throw away your marriage vows to have this other person that doesn't belong to you. Commandment number eight talks about stealing. And when you're you're willing to steal that thing that somebody else has if you could get it and you could get away with it. And then last week we talked about bearing false witness and lying and you'll just lie about it. No, 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 no. I'm not spending, yeah, I'm not spending time with that person at, at work. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I know we were sitting in the car talking after, uh, after work in the parking lot there and stuff, but that, that's just real innocent. We, we weren't, I mean, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. As you get to the end of the Ten Commandments like we have now. And you might find yourself, after we get to the end of these Ten Commandments, going, I can't do this. I can't keep these commandments. Good. I'm glad that's where you are. Because you are right, my friend. You can't keep them. And the purpose of these Ten Commandments in our lives today, you remember at the very beginning of this sermon series, I said there was a pastor somewhere that said, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to obey the Ten Commandments anymore, which is a crock. Purpose of these Ten Commandments, you do have to obey them, but the purpose of them is to show you you cannot do this apart from Christ. He is our only hope. But brother, let me tell you something. You come to know Jesus. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. You realize all that he's done for you and how he saved you and set you free and got, you got a place reserved for you in heaven. The rest of your life, the rest of your life, you're going to go, I want to obey you, Jesus. I want to obey you. I want to live for you. I want to obey you. I confess I have not obeyed you. I did this. I, I want to obey you, Jesus. And that's the position of your life from there on. So to live out these Ten Commandments, it starts with a commitment, a commitment to Jesus. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no hope. 
So come to Jesus today and be saved. If you don't know Christ, come to Jesus today and be saved. It starts with a commitment. And then it starts with, and then it moves to contentment. I used that word a couple of weeks ago. But start, it moves to contentment, being content with where you are, content with what you have. Paul, the apostle, said that I am content in my circumstances. Be content with where God's placed you and what he's given to you. And then there's one more word, and the word is cultivate. Commit to the Lord Jesus. Be content with where you are, and then cultivate your relationship. Number one, obviously, your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Keep cultivating and building that relationship. But two of the commandments specifically talk about marriage stuff, adultery. And this one, covetousness, speaks to that. You can't covet somebody else's. Cultivate your marriage. Cultivate that relationship. Ain't nobody in here got a perfect marriage. Nobody. So don't be looking around and thinking, oh my goodness, I just wish I had a marriage like theirs. You don't see behind closed doors in anybody's house. Nothing wrong with seeing people going, you know, they're the model, they're setting a good example. That's cool. But you cultivate your relationship with your spouse if you're married. So come to Jesus. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. Let's pray together. Lord, help us now during these moments of invitation. I ask you this every week, Lord, because you tell us to keep on praying, keep on asking, so we're going to keep doing that. I ask you to move in this invitation time, whatever decision we need to make that would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, if there's somebody that needs to commit their lives to Christ today, today would be that day. Somebody need to join this church, today would be that day. Somebody need to come back to the Lord because they've wandered away. Today would be that day. Lord, help us to honor you in this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org.